Bom bom bits, a bowl full of chips. Bom bom bits, with Chappy and Pip. Bom bom bits, two young brothers. Bom bom bits, talking college football. Bom bom bits, and life and humor. And some funny ass clips. So relax and unwind with a bowl full of chips. Welcome back. Your dreams were your ticket out. Welcome back to that same and old And we're now. back. Sorry, college football well, fans. BFC has been MIA for the last week. But we're back. We're hungry, and we hope you are too. So snack on a bowl full of chips with us. I am Chappie Go Lucky, and you all know my boy, Bip the Tip. Bitman, welcome back, bro. Life sounds like it was pretty good last week. Nice vacay? Well, Chappie, the kids tried to turn the Windy City into the Whiny City at certain points, but all in all, it was a nice trip. Uh, you know, like you mentioned, got a chance to go out uh, to visit Chicago. Also had a little stop in South Bend uh, just randomly to visit uh, a nice little campus in the state of Indiana there. And, right, um, right. So it was good, good time off, but man, I'm glad to be back and talking some college football with you, brother. Yeah, I know. It's, uh, I don't even know how many days. It's been almost about two weeks, but you and I were talking off air about how it seems like it's been an eternity and uh, <laughs> hoping that there's not too much rust on this next podcast here, but we'll give it a go, Bip. And I think we've got, I mean, we've got 41 under our belt, so I think that we're, we're in pretty good shape. Sure. Well, we've said it before, this is not our job, mainly because it doesn't pay too much yet, but in all honesty, no amount of money would make this seem like a job. It's a passion. Like someone once said, if you love what you do, you never have to work a day in your life. And trust us, Bip and I haven't worked a day in our life. <laughs> uh, we're passionate about delivering some of the best college football content and character, info and insight before, during, and after the season. And though we took a week to enjoy life, it's time to get back to our primal joy. So thanks again for joining us in a bowl full of chips. The podcast with every bit the nonstop forward movement of a Barry Sanders Oklahoma State touchdown jaunt. So here at BFC, we give you our opinions backed with reasoned judgment. Sometimes we hit it like a Miami linebacker, and sometimes you might think we miss wide right like a Florida State place kicker. In either case, use the Twitter sphere to share your agreements and aggravations. I am at champion underscore lit. And I am at BFC BIP. So give us a follow, and if you already do, share our handle with others so they can get the good stuff too. Visit our show's Twitter page on at Bowlful of Chips, where you can visit our website for a growing number of resources and bits of information, including lists, our rankings, a look at upcoming previews, which, by the way, are going to be released this week. Bip and I, on our next podcast, will be looking at our 2019 preview of the SEC. And over on our website, we will be putting a lot more information and our projections for the 2019 SEC season. So, again, you can check that out uh, by going to at Bowlful of Chips on Twitter. And there's a lot of links that you can you can peruse on. You can also email us or contact us at bowlfulofchips at gmail.com. So this episode tonight, episode 42 for Bipster and I, we're going to look at the trends that ended 2018 in college football. And particularly the teams that were trending up, the teams that had a, a good reason to smile and to cheer at the end of the 2018 season. And also give you a little taste and a tease as to how we see them doing in 2019. Will that momentum continue to go in a forward progression or will it stop? Will it halt? Will it drop down into the red? So Bip, we're going to start over in Big 12 country and I'm going to give you one of my teams that I thought was really trending up in 2018 and that's the Texas Longhorns. And so much so that their all-star quarterback Sam Ellinger used the phrase, we're back. So let's see what Texas <laughs> did. Well, they won four of their last five games, the only loss coming to a very good Oklahoma team in the Big 12 championship game. So those that included wins at Texas Tech, uh, Iowa State at home, at Kansas. They lost, like I said, to Oklahoma in the Big 12 title game only by eight points. And then they just plastered the University of Georgia team, a team that was a little bit butthurt from not making it into the college football playoff. And I think that we saw the effects of that in that Sugar Bowl bit. But I mean, you look at Texas, they they uh, had one of the better quarterbacks in college football and Sam Ellinger last year. The guy was multifaceted. You know, a lot of people look at him and they said, well, he's a runner and he's a big physical quarterback. And, and maybe that's to a, a fault of his. But he was a very efficient quarterback as well. I mean, looking at his numbers last year, he completed 
65% of his passes for 3,292 yards. He had a 25-5 to touchdown-to-interception ratio, one of the better quarterback ratings in all of college football. Um, this was just a team that was really performing well toward the end of the season, but they do lose uh, little Jordan Humphrey at wide receiver. They lose their top three tacklers on defense. They, they, they get hit pretty hard with graduation, especially on that defensive side of the ball, Bip. So while a lot of people are looking at the Texas Longhorns as coming closer to challenging the Oklahoma Sooners for the Big 12 title this year, and possibly, you know, some people even have them in their college football playoff. I just don't see the University of Texas carrying this momentum into 2019. I think that they'll be good, you know, along the lines of a, a nine, maybe even a 10 win season. But, you know, they have to play at TCU. They have to play at Iowa State and Baylor back to back. I just don't see them winning both of those games. And I don't see them beating Oklahoma in the Red River rivalry again. You know, last year they they came back in dramatic fashion and Michael Dicker hit that game winning field goal from from deep out. I just don't see the Sooners uh, letting that happen again. I, I, I don't know that they can get two in a row over Lincoln Riley and that massively productive and explosive or look looking to be explosive offense for the Sooners this year. Bip. Yeah. And I would agree with you. They have a lot to replace on defenses. They only return two starters, both of them being in the secondary. Now they do have some guys that do come back that had a, a larger role last year. Um, but mm-hmm. especially in that front seven, they're missing a lot. They also have to replace three offensive linemen, uh, starting running back Trey Watson. And as you mentioned, little Jordan Humphrey, I'm with you. I think that schedule is going to be tough for them. Outside of that uh, conference schedule, where, like you mentioned, they, they're at TCU, at Iowa State, at Baylor. Obviously, the Red River rivalry game is going to be tough, but they have a home game against uh, LSU as well. So not only is it going to be tough sledding in conference, but that game against LSU, if they drop that in week two, then what does that do to set up Texas for their conference schedule? What does it do to the team's psyche uh, coming out of that one? Yeah, and I'm going to go right on record now and say that they lose that LSU game. I think, oh, I think LSU, so, too. I think LSU is going to be one of those teams to start 2019 that's really going to blaze some trails. And and I would not be surprised to see them in the uh, college football playoff as a one-loss SEC team who probably is going to lose to Alabama, but they avoid the SEC championship game. And if they can make it through the rest of that schedule, especially with a win over a, a Texas team that, like I said, probably will win nine, maybe 10 games this year, that's certainly going to be a recipe for, of success for uh, Coach O and his boys. So, yeah, I, I think that that's a, a tough one right out of the gate. Bip. For sure. So who do you have? Who's the, who's the trending up team that – Ended on a good note in 2018, and how do you see him doing in 2019? Well, I'm going to kick my side off, Chappie, with the Syracuse Orange. So in 2018, Syracuse started 4-0 before a heartbreaking loss at Clemson. That was followed by a hard-fought loss at Pitt. They then proceeded to finish uh, the season winning six of their last seven games, with their lone loss being a curb-stomping in the hands of my Notre Dame Irish. But... By season's end, Syracuse had their best season since 2001, and their only losses were to two playoff teams in the winter of the Coastal. So they had a lot of momentum going into the end of that season. This year, coming into 2019, they have their the ACC's fifth, eighth, and ninth ranked uh, receivers returning in terms of uh, returning yards per game. And they also add Michigan State transfer Tristan Jackson at wide receiver as well. So it should be a pretty loaded group for them. Now, this was the second uh, offense in the ACC last year in regards to points per game with 39.8. They do lose all-time orange great Eric Dungy at quarterback, but Tommy DeVito showed flashes last year and has a big arm, so this team could be even more vertical this year than in years past. The offense um, also finished second in the conference in fewest turnovers and allowed the second fewest sacks. Um, Defensively, they forced the most turnovers in the conference last year, but Beware of, the, uh, of those uh, couple stats because the turnover margin was so good last year that it could easily regress uh, to the mean this year. So how does that affect a team that ranked sixth or lower in most major defensive statistics last year? That'll be something to keep an eye out on. Um, another guy to keep an, uh, an eye on is, is Mo Neal. Now, he averaged 5.6 yards per carry last year with over 850 yards. And with Dungy gone, that leaves 949 yards and 15 touchdowns up for grabs on the ground. So don't be surprised if Neal challenges for first team all ACC at running back this year. The Orange lose three starters on the offensive line, but they still return 98 career starts and four guys who have started 12 games in the season after bringing in a transfer from South Alabama. Um, now, a couple of negatives that uh, I see that could trip up the orange this year. 
Uh, I mentioned DeVito has a, a live arm, and while he looked good against North Carolina and Florida State, he looked completely lost against Notre Dame, and for the season completed over 50% of his passes, uh, or barely over 50% of his passes, so something to uh, a, a potential cause of concern for them there. And while this secondary can cause turnovers, they also finished 10th in the ACC in defensive yards per game allowed. Um, so they do return all four starters, though, so that, that secondary unit could look to improve from that stat from last year. Um, going into 2019, the Orange should once again have a fly, high-flying offense and a deep group of receivers, as I mentioned. They have one of the best pass rusher duos in the entire country with Coleman and Robinson, as well as one of the best safeties in Andre Sisco. But this defense still needs to answer several questions from last season. Perhaps most encouraging for Syracuse fans is their schedule this year. They have Clemson at home, and seemingly their only other potential tests will be at Florida State and at Maryland. And that's taken a leap of faith for both teams. Uh, that Florida State's improved from last year and that Mike Loxley finds himself a quarterback and can get uh, that Maryland team to gel quickly with all the new players and the new coaching staff that they'll have in 2019. If they can clear Florida State and Maryland, they should have no problem achieving double-digit wins again this year, Chappie. Yeah, and I I really think that Syracuse's defense is going to be underrated going into the season and one of the better units in the ACC. You already talked about Robinson and Coleman, but I like their secondary as well. Two good corners in Scoop Bradshaw and Christopher Frederick. You mentioned Cisco. I like Evan Foster at a strong safety as well. Um, and then going back to the offensive side of the ball, yeah, so much of their success this year I think is going to be right on the shoulders of Tommy DeVito. So mm-hmm. is he ready for it? And, of course, you look at the guy. He's got some bravado, so he's going to tell you and he's going to walk around and act like he's ready for it. But what happens when you when you play Clemson in a national spotlight in the Carrier Dome when when people are – you know, saying, well, you maybe have a home field advantage. That's going to be tough. And, you know, how does he handle the rest of the ACC season? Because I think that, you know, realistically, you go in and you're thinking, okay, we're going to take a loss against Clemson. But how do we handle road games at NC State, Florida State? And I'm going to say Duke is going to be a tough game for them as well. But because um, as I'm looking here at our, our college football Bible, according to Phil Steele, uh, Syracuse has never beaten an ACC coastal team on the road. And hmm. I just see that that Duke game is a is a potential trap game, and I actually have them losing to Duke. So I have the the Orange going nine and three this year with losses to Clemson, Florida State, and Duke all on the road, um, or I'm sorry, Clemson at home. But um, I'm I'm hoping for the best for Tommy DeVito, but I'm just not sold that he is that uh, transitional quarterback to where all other things looking good, he just transitions easily. Um, their backup running back, Abdul Adams, is an Oklahoma transfer and actually was eligible to play in the bowl game last year, scored two touchdowns. But at Oklahoma, he averaged 9.9 yards per carry. So not only do they have Mo Neal, but a good number two is Adams there, number 23. So that offense is going to be pretty good. They uh, they do have to replace two starters on that offensive line. But like you said, Ryan Alexander coming in from South Alabama doesn't leave too much of a drop-off. I think that this is a good Syracuse team, but maybe not as – um, as successful or as glorious as last year's team seems, Bip. I, I'm going to go with nine wins for them this year. Okay, I like that. I, I I'm going to disagree with you a little bit on the on the Duke pick. I think that's a perfect team for Syracuse to play, seeing as how they lost Daniel Jones and just about every receiver that they have. I think that sets up nicely for that pass rush to get to the quarterback and that secondary to tee off against uh, that that uh, green group of receivers for the Blue Devils this year. But uh, yep. But uh, nice, nice thoughts there. So who do you have coming up next there, Chappie? Well, we're going to go to the Big Ten, and I'm going to say a team that really trended up toward the end of last season was the Nebraska Cornhuskers. Yep. I know that they're most people's darlings for 2019. I'll get to that <laughs> in a minute. Uh, but if you look at Nebraska, you know, they started off, they lost their first uh, seven games. So, you know, right out of the gate, they're 0-7. They got mollywopped against Michigan. They blew a lead against Northwestern in a game where they really had no business losing. Uh, they got beat by two touchdowns against Purdue. They lost their their rival, or they lost to their rival Colorado. And I apologize; it was only six games because the Akron game was canceled. That's but, right. Um, but you know, then they won four of their last six, and their two losses came against Ohio State on the road and uh, Iowa on the road by a combined eight points. So. I mean, eight points separated them from finishing the season four out of six to winning their last six games and would have been bowl eligible. And we saw a big transformation for the Scott Frost team. They were much more disciplined. They they got 
steadier play from their quarterback, Adrian Martinez. They got uh, really, I think, great running back play from Divino Zigbo. I can't remember uh, what level of all Big Ten he was, but really I thought he should have been first team. And that, that guy was a, a force at running back. And so, um, you know, they they cleaned up a lot of things. And, and this was really a team that was was scaring a lot of opponents. And, uh, you know, they, they won that ugly 9-6 game against Michigan State in the snow. They, they beat up pretty badly on Illinois, who was kind of an up-and-down team. But like I said, you know, playing so close at the shoe against a, an outstanding Ohio State team who was ranked eighth in the country at that point and 18-point favorites. Uh, the Buckeyes only got away with a five-point victory there. And then playing against rival Iowa, and I am going to say that it is a rivalry. You ask fans from both sides, and they'll say, oh, it's not that big of a rivalry. Maybe Iowa fans consider it more so, but you know, the, the perception is that Nebraska Cornhusker fans – tend to look down their nose at the Iowa Hawkeyes, but it is a rivalry. And I'm glad to see that those two teams are in the same division of the big 10 and, um, you know, being in such close proximity, but Mm -hmm. this is a Nebraska team who going into the 2019, I think that they will definitely look better than their four and eight record last year. I like them to win the big, big 10 West and play in the big 10 championship game against, uh, well, we'll, we'll save that for our next podcast, but, um, (laughs) I do, I do like them contending and winning the West. So, so I'll let that cat out of the bag. I'm just really sold on Adrian Martinez. Not only is he a a dynamic athlete, but he is just so cool. I mean, watching him in that Colorado game last year as really an underage true freshman, that was a pretty, uh, aggressive pass rush that he was facing. And he just didn't seem to be phased. And, and the guy always keeps plays open. And I really think that if they can get an established running back, if Maurice Washington is eligible to play, and he probably will be after maybe the second or third game, I mean, there's going to be a suspension pending there. Um, if Dedrick Mills, now that he's on campus and enrolled as a student, he made the grade eligibility-wise. Uh, you know, he was an all-ACC freshman at Georgia Tech. If they can get their receivers going as well, I really like J.D. Spielman as a uh, as an outstanding athlete, probably one of the best athletes, not only in the Big Ten, but in the country. Martinez to Spielman and Martinez to Wandale Robinson. That's going to be some pretty good hookups, not just through the air, but also on jet sweeps. And, you know, Scott Frost is going to put up points and, and rack up the yardage bips. So uh, if they can get that defense short up, which it looks like they're they're probably going to be. I like their defensive line. And Tony Tuioti coming over from Cal has made great progress with those defensive linemen so the Davis brothers Carlos and Khalil and then Ben Stilley at defensive end I think this is going to be a much improved defense for Nebraska and that's going to translate into a much improved overall team and season for the Big Red yeah I'm with you I I was really impressed with Adrian Martinez last year over 600 rushing yards with eight touchdowns 2600 passing yards 17 touchdowns but most importantly almost 65% completion percentage. And you can wonder how much better does he get in year two under Scott Frost as he, he's going to be probably my pick for uh first team, all big 10 quarterback this year. Uh, but like you mentioned, we'll get into that in, in another podcast defensively, Mohamed Barry, DiCaprio Boodle, uh, two big time returning starters for the Huskers. I have a couple concerns with them in regards to, um, they did lose a decent amount on that defense. Um, and like you mentioned at running back, who are they going to fit in there if Maurice Washington isn't eligible? Um, but I think what I like most about Nebraska is their schedule this year. They get Ohio mm-hmm. state, Northwestern, Wisconsin, and Iowa all at home, avoid Michigan state, Michigan, and Penn state. And their road games are relatively light as they have five against Colorado, Illinois, Minnesota, Purdue, and Maryland. And they might be five favored in all five of those. So mm-hmm. I think their schedule more than anything sets up for them to have a great rebound year under right. Scott Frost in year two. Not sure if I'm willing to go out and say uh, like many of the the masses and, and say that they're going to win the Big Ten West, but I think that they're definitely going to be right up there contending for it. Yeah, and, and the reason that I like them to win the West, and it pains me to say that as a Northwestern guy, mm-hmm. um, they get everybody that they need to get at home. Oh, and yeah. Really, the, the only threat that they play from the West on the road is Minnesota, mm-hmm. but they're going to be battle tested because they're playing Minnesota after back-to-back games against Ohio state and Northwestern, both at home. So I I don't see them beating Ohio state. I sadly do see them beating Northwestern. And then I just don't know that Minnesota is ready yet. I I like Scott Frost versus PJ Fleck in that matchup. And I like the Nebraska roster over the Minnesota roster in that matchup. So we'll see, but I think Nebraska is their time is to arrive this year. I don't see Mm -hmm. the Minnesota's arrived just yet. So 
Yep. Well, and they also get over to you. They oh, also get they also get Wisconsin at home after a bye week. So that's something to take note of as well for right. their their nice home schedule that they have this year. So kicking it back to my side, Chappie, I'm gonna go with the Florida Gators. So in twenty eighteen, the Gators started off six and one and were as high as number nine in the country before losing back to back games against Georgia and Missouri. They then won their last four, including a throttling of Michigan in the bowl game. So what went right for them? Felipe Frank showed great growth growth last year, as was kind of expected with quarterback guru Dan Mullen at the helm. He finished with a 24 to 6 touchdown inter- interception ratio. However, he still got some work to do as he only finished ninth in the SEC in passing efficiency. So um, it cut down on the on the interception uh, mistakes, uh, but he still got some room for growth as well. Um, in year two under Dan Mullen. He's a prime candidate to take his game to the next level, in my opinion. Malik mm-hmm. Davis returns from injury at running back, and if he can stay healthy, he's going to team with LaMichael Pirine to form one of the best running back duos in the SEC. The Gators have my number two group of receivers in the entire SEC as they return their top six wide receivers, and they have not only a lot of talent, but tons of depth at the position as well. The defense is going to be one of the best in the country this year as the Gators return eight starters on D, including three along the defensive line and three in the secondary. And I really like their uh, pair of edge rushers in uh, Zuniga and Louisville transfer Jonathan Greenard. And those two are going to be two of the best uh, and most terrifying pass rushers in the SEC. What I don't like about the Gators going into 2019 is while they have a lot of talent and depth at the skill positions, um, as well as a much improved Felipe Franks, they might struggle to protect Franks or provide space for their backs and their skill position players to to work with as they return only one starter on the offensive line, and that could be a struggle for them all season. Also, the Gators will be equally hurting at uh, linebacker where they lose Voshan Joseph, CeCe Jefferson, and edge rusher Ja'Kai Polite. So what does that group of linebackers look like in, in Gainesville? Um, so going into 2019, I think this is going to be a great example of a team whose sum is greater than the, than its parts as the Gators don't have, uh, as many preseason first team or second team selections, uh, for the sec as say Bama, Georgia, LSU, or even Auburn, but the Gators have a great collection of talent. And Dan Mullen has shown that he's one of the best coaches in the country and keeping Todd Grantham as defensive coordinator is huge for the Gators this year. The Gator offense returns plenty, but they finished only 11th in the SEC in passing last year. So if they have any plans to win the East, they're going to have to make sure that that number increases and they improve at, uh, in, in some of their passing numbers, especially that passing efficiency, as I mentioned with Felipe Franks, the Gator schedule sets up nice, nicely for them as they avoid Bama and A&M and they have Auburn at home. Georgia is the normal neutral site as uh, they also get Miami at a neutral site this year. Florida State's at home and their toughest games um, at LSU and against Georgia should see Florida as only minor underdogs, in my opinion. So the Gators will be in the thick of the East um, with the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. Once again, going a long ways in determining which team comes out on top uh, in that SEC East, in my opinion, this year, Shappy. Yeah, and some people are pointing to the November 16th matchup at Missouri as a potential fall for the Gators. After getting spanked at home, I believe on homecoming against uh, the Missouri Tigers last year, you can bet that the Gators are circling that game as a redemption game to go back out and go to Columbia, Missouri and put the spanking to the Tigers this year. So I don't see that as a pitfall for them. Um, I think that they start off 6-0 and you know, with uh, maybe a, a tough game against Miami, a tough game against Tennessee at home. I'm not sold that Kentucky's going to, you know, handle them the way that they handled them last year. I think that's right. another game that Florida sched- or circles in their schedule and says, okay, we want to make sure that we get this one back in redemption as well. Mm-hmm. I, I I like them losing at LSU and then losing in that game against Georgia. So I like the Gators to go 10 and two this year and, and win the rest of their games. And, you know, they might even surprise and, and knock off LSU or knock off Georgia. So I wouldn't be shocked if the Gators take the East this year. And, you know, talking about those passing numbers that you mentioned, with that group of receivers and with an arm like Felipe Franks, how can you not get to at least the top four in the conference in passing right. this year? I don't care what you have coming on your offensive line. You're, you're the University of Florida. You've got athletes, and and so you should be able to plug in guys who are going to do well. And like you mentioned, Davis and P. Ryan, those are two skilled running backs. So you know, even if you were playing with uh, the Gainesville High School uh, varsity offensive line, they still <laughs> should be able to do pretty well with all right. that talent around a bit. So, yep. Uh, I'm going to stick in the SEC, and I'm going to say that the Texas A&M Aggies were a team that 
really did well to end 2018. And, you know, that was evidence really in their bowl game when they uh, smacked around the NC State Wolfpack. So they, they won their last four games of the season, and three of those games were by 14 points or more. And Jimbo Fisher's team really looked dominant on offense. They looked uh, a lot more aggressive on defense. We saw Kellen Mond, you know, kind of come of age even more so. And even though they, uh, you know, they, they had to go and play a, a seven-hour game against LSU, you know, <laughs> they, they came out on top in seven OTs, and, and Mond was a big reason for that. And, you know, the composure that he kept against that tough LSU defense and just saying, okay, this is our backyard. We're going to keep fighting, keep fighting. And, and they got the win there. That was great. And then, yeah, that second half against NC State was just uh, a thing of beauty if you're an Aggie and it's cause for nausea if you're a, a Wolfpack fan. But um, so going into 2019, I, uh, you know, a lot of people have A&M pretty high on their list and saying that this is one of those teams that's a quote unquote sleeper. They've got talent and they're going to get there under Jimbo Fisher. But I think that 2020 might be the season that Aggie fans are going to want to cherish more. You know, Texas A&M has arguably one of the toughest schedules in the country. They play at Clemson in week two. They play Auburn at home in week four. They have to play Bama off a bye um, on October 12th. But, you know, Bama seems to have had their number save for that one Johnny Manziel year. Uh, and then they have to play at Georgia and at LSU in the last two games of the season. So crossing over into the East, they do get the Bulldogs in the second to last SEC game that they play on the schedule. And then again, LSU is still bitter from that seven overtime loss last year. So playing in Death Valley, that's a game that the Tigers, who I think their roster stacks up even better than the Aggies. You know, this is a very good Aggie team and Jimbo recruited uh, really about as well as anybody in the SEC this past offseason. So while I think that 2019 will be a pretty good year for them, I don't think it's their year yet. I don't think that they challenge Alabama or LSU or even Auburn for uh, the top spots in the SEC West this year. Um, you know, they'll be good, but I, I still think that 2020 is going to be the year of the Aggie BIP. So what are your thoughts on a and I, I completely agree with you. This is one of my teams that I said could cause some headaches for potential playoff teams in 2019, but I don't think 2019 is a, t- is a year to where they're going to be contenders themselves. I mean, just looking at everything that they lose defensively, that's my number one thing uh, with them. They lose their top six tacklers for their top five uh, tackle for loss producers, and they only have one returning starter from, a, from that front seven that finished second in rushing defense among SEC teams last year now Mike Elko is one of the top defensive uh, coordinators in the country and he's going to need to be at the top of his game this year to replace everything they lost from last year's squad also on the offensive side of the ball they lose arguably their their top three uh, offensive players in Sternberger Williams and Eric McCoy Um, so a lot to replace for A&M and yeah also that uh, that schedule that you mentioned is pretty brutal Clemson and then as you mentioned, they have Auburn and Alabama at home, but they have a couple sneaky uh, potential trap games after each one of those neutral site against Arkansas and Jerry world, and then traveling to play Ole Miss after they play uh, Alabama. So a couple uh, uh, teams that you wouldn't normally think would challenge the Aggies, but after a couple physical games against Auburn and Alabama, you never know what uh, those offenses could put up this year against the Aggies with that defense or against that defense. That's lost so much from last year. And finishing off the year at Georgia and at LSU, I think that that schedule, along with everything that they lost on the defensive side of the ball, is just too much for them to be more so to be anything more than maybe a nine win team team this year, Chappie. Yeah, and I really like their defensive line, uh, but I've got. I don't want to say questions about their linebackers. I like Anthony Hines and and I like Buddy Johnson, but they they're they haven't really been. Uh, you know, battle tested as much yet, but my bigger concern is in that secondary. They, they, they need a new corner. They need a new free safety. So, you know, they, they only return four starters on that defense and, you know, they, they've got the athletes and, and very highly ranked, you know, a lot of stars on that defensive right. group, but it's kind of blending them and gelling them together to, to have that cohesion and that chemistry. And the sec West is not very forgiving. Bip, no, no, so. <laughs> 
So who do you who do, let's go to your side? Who's another team that trended up and how do you see them in 2019? Well, I'm going to go with a team that may have been as hot as any team in the country at the end of last year, and that's the Army Black Knights. So Army started off the season with a bad 14 to 34 loss to a Duke team that looked a lot better at the end of the season than than what you may have thought at the beginning. But in that game, Army fumbled the ball five times, lost two of them, and both of those led to Duke scores. Army also missed two field goals, so that was clearly a rusty game for them. They then won two games and took Oklahoma to the wire in Norman in a game that, if they had won that game, who knows how highly Army could have been ranked at the end of the season. They finished the season as hot as any team, as I mentioned, winning nine straight and just embarrassing Houston in that 70-14 to bowl game. Um, and a, a big reason for their success this year that or, uh, in 2018 was Kelvin Hopkins, their starting quarterback. He rushed and passed for over a thousand yards each, and his 9.9 yards per attempt is the most in Army history for anyone who's thrown more than uh, or who's thrown at least 100 passes. Additionally, his passer rating of 148.3 was also tops in school history for anyone throwing at least 100 passes. And all of that, he averaged 4.9 yards per carry, which was the third most rushing yards per carry for any quarterback to throw at least 100 uh, passes in school history as well. So quite a dual threat for the Black Knights. And in addition to Hopkins, the Black Knights returned three offensive linemen and should have one of the better units in the entire country on that offensive front. Um, the, The Black Knights also returned three starters in the secondary. And Army scored the 26th most points per game in the country last year, had the 12th best average scoring margin, all this while committing the 58th fewest penalty yards per game. In 2017, they were 11th lowest uh, in uh, penalty yards per game. So you, you know that the academies are disciplined and they could have even fewer penalty yards this year in 2019. And if that's the case, pairing that with that explosive offense that they have when that triple option is humming, could be could spell even more potential problems for their their opponents this year. The thing that that concerns me a little bit with them is they lose Darnell Wolfolk and six of their top nine rushers from that 2018 squad. But that yeah. could be mitigated because we know that the system often means more than the individual talent uh, of the athletes that are running it in that triple option. But they also lose lots in their front seven, losing three defensive linemen and three linebackers. So um, they do have some some losses along uh, both sides of the ball. But the Black Knights have won eight games, 10 games and 11 games in their last three respective seasons. So they look like they're here to stay as long as Jeff Munkin leads them out of the locker room. And that schedule this year sees them on the road for seven of their 13 games. But outside of that uh, road game at, at Michigan, they shouldn't be uh, underdogs in any of their, their other games, and they should be double-digit favorites um, in most of them. So should they pull the upset against Michigan or even just keep it respectable? Look for the Black Knights to finish this season ranked once again, and they might even crack the top 10 with Calvin Hopkins being a dark horse Heisman candidate, depending on how they look against Michigan and the rest of that soft schedule. Yeah, I think the the big question is at that fullback position. Uh, Connor Slumka is going to be the one who uh, gets the first handle at the reins. But yeah, like you said, losing a lot of that uh, that rushing attack is is a little bit concerning. But again, if you trust in the system and and Jeff Munkin runs it about as well as anybody, you know, I'm going to put him right up there with Paul Johnson. And I know he's a Paul Johnson disciple. So, you know, is it a case of is he taken what Johnson did and made it even better because this three-year run that he's had is, uh, you know, rivaling. I'd have to look at the stats, but I want to say it's probably uh, a better three-year run than than Johnson had at Navy at any uh, three-year, you know, three-given year. So mm-hmm. pretty darn impressive. And you know, the big question will be: Is he going to stay there at Army? And that's one of the nice things, one of the securities about having a guy who runs a triple option. There's not a big uh, market for right. coaches who run that, you know, it's, it's really, you know, the service academies and maybe a program that's really downtrodden and just trying to turn it around for a couple seasons to get their name back up there. So I guess that is a, a good security that the, the people at West point have in Munkin, but, um, yeah, those road games, um, you know, UT San Antonio, Western Kentucky, Georgia state. I think that the air force game out in Colorado Springs is a little bit of a trap game because air force is going to be a little bit better than people think this year. Some people even have them contending right up there with Boise state for that mountain division in the mountain West. Uh, and yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with how they play at Michigan. If they can keep it close to within maybe seven points, they'll ride that momentum. And this will be a, 
a banner year for the Army uh, Black Knights. But if they lose that game, you know, because they're going to be there's going to be a lot of hype going into that. And if they lose by double digits or if they lose by three touchdowns out in Ann Arbor, that might deflate them a little bit. And and you could maybe see a trip up against a team like Tulane or, you know, a, a slip against Air Force. But again, it's it's going to be Hopkins and and what his cast can do around him, because he certainly is a, is a great talent, but he's got to have that help around him. And yeah, defensively. You know, some of their best players were lost from last year, especially James Nottigal. I mean, he was one of the most fun players to watch in college football a year ago. But, um, you know, they breed these guys and they most of them will redshirt their first year and they really won't play until their third year sophomore or a fourth year junior. So you like to see that they, they've got that depth and, and you'd like to think that these guys are, are experienced in that realm. So I think that's a good pick. Bip. All right, Chappie, um, who, who do you got coming up next then? Well, let's go to the Pac-12 and go to the Stanford Cardinals. So Stanford was an interesting team in 2018 because going into the season, everybody was talking about uh, Bryce Love as being really like a hands-on favorite Heisman contender. And he really had a a slip-up year last year. And I know that he was injured, but he only netted 739 yards, six touchdowns, only averaging four and a half per carry, which isn't bad, but... Stanford managed to win five of their last seven games, and um, two of those losses were by a combined seven points. So, again, it's a team that, you know, when you talk about close losses, they were very easily in a position to win their last seven, and that would have put them in a much different standing in that Pac-12. Four of those five wins, though, were were by a combined 25 points. So they played a lot of close games down the stretch. They got good play out of their wide receivers. Uh, KJ Costello had a, had a, had a pretty remarkable season. He threw for 3,500 yards, 29 to 11 touchdown to interception ratio, 65% of his passes he completed. So he's a cool customer. I think really one of the more underrated quarterbacks in the country coming into 2019. Um, he does lose, uh, JJ Arcega Whiteside and Trenton Irwin and Caden Smith. So his top three receivers, but he's got an all American tight end and Colby Parkinson coming back. I like the combination of Osiris St. Brown and Michael Wilson at wide receiver. And then they add in guys like Simi Fajoko. Uh, and then also um, Connor Weddington is a guy who's catching a lot of buzz. Really just, you know, kind of looked at as a, as a very shifty guy. Good hands, you know, like like people like to say, deceptively fast. Um, you know, defensively, they, you know, they lose a lot as they do on offense. But um, they have two of the best defensive backs in the Pac-12 and Paulson the Debo who's an All-American yeah. and then Malik Antoine who's a strong safety uh getting Casey Tuhill back for another year is good Javon Swan is is a is a force up there at defensive tackle so if they can get the outside guys mainly their defensive ends and the new outside linebackers um up to par and up to play Stanford kind of starts off with a top heavy schedule but sometimes we've seen teams like Stanford play well in that top heavy part of it. So they open up with Northwestern at home. Then they travel to the Coliseum to play USC and then they go out to Orlando to play UCF. So if they can get two of those first three as wins, they get Oregon at home, they get Washington at home. Uh, those two games are, are, are spread apart by two weeks. They, um, you know, they're really, their only road, the tough road game that they have after playing at USC and at UCF is at Washington state on November 16th. They do get Notre Dame at home in the finale this year. And that's always a tough spot for the Irish to play. So Stanford could be looking uh, at one of those teams. You know, I, I saw somebody posted today, who's the dark horse teams to win their conferences. And I would have to say Stanford has got to be the dark horse to win the PAC 12 because everybody's looking at Washington or Oregon, but, with both of those teams coming to Palo Alto, if David Shaw can get both of those wins, Stanford's in the driver's seat and pretty much can book their ticket to uh, Levi Stadium to to play in that Pac-12 championship. Chappie, I think this is where this is one of those teams that you are you and I are going to differ most on throughout 2019. I, I don't see Stanford coming close to uh, competing in the Pac-12. The main reasons being they lost just about every uh, receiving threat that they have. Now, I do really like Colby Parkinson, and I think Osiris St. Brown and a couple of those other guys stepping in for the departed receivers could be uh, some uh, potential threats for them. I also like KJ Costello throwing the ball, but I have questions at running back for them. They lose a lot on their offensive line. They lose a lot at linebacker. 
And that schedule, I'm not as optimistic as you are for them. I think starting off with Northwestern, then traveling to USC and UCF, and then to come back home against Oregon, I think they could potentially start off 0-4 or at the best case scenario, 1-3. and And then you mentioned Oregon State's not going to be a pushover this year. They travel to their Teams like uh, Washington and Cal will certainly not be easy to play at home. And even teams like UCLA and Arizona, how are they going to play this year? Are they going to come out and be much improved in um, their second year under their respective head coaches? And then that last game of the season, Notre Dame. Notre Dame could be a potential playoff team. You know that's a rivalry game. And uh, while Stanford normally gets the best, the better of the Irish uh, down on the farm, that is another um tough, tough game for the Cardinals. So I don't see them performing particularly well in conference. I don't see them performing particularly well outside of conference with how that uh, schedule sets up for them this year. I I see them struggling to win anything more than seven games this year, Chappie. Well, and and let me clarify, I was simply, uh, and, and, and I veered off from our script here, Bip, I was simply Posing the potential sure, for sure. them doing well, okay. And I was maybe maybe catering to the Stanford fans a little bit. Here's what I have Stanford <laughs> doing: I have them going eight and four. Okay. Now I do think that they play, they perform pretty well in their non-conference. I I, I think that they beat Northwestern mm-hmm. sadly, and I think that they win out at UCF. I think that this is a relatively down year for UCF compared to sure. how they've done the last two seasons. Um, I have them losing to Oregon, and I have them losing to Washington both. And I also have them losing at Washington State. So the rest of that Pac-12 schedule is not too tough. I think that they will be pushed by Oregon State out in Corvallis, but I think that they do get the better of them. The the X factor for me for them going eight and four as opposed to um, you know less than that is David Shaw. I just think that he is one of the more underrated coaches in America, mm-hmm. and he seems to get good results from his talent, and and he certainly recruits well there. Yeah. And um, so I, you know, I, I do see that, you know, they went nine and four last year. I think that they go eight and four this year. And it's uh, it's something that, you know, Stanford fans are, are going to get a little itchy on. You know, they they were used to having Pac-12 championships or at least playing in a Pac-12 championship. And they haven't done it in a few years. Mm-hmm. So um, it's going to be something that um, that they're certainly going to want. But, yeah, I I I just wanted to clarify that I, I don't see Stanford. Uh, winning the Pac-12 sure. North. I actually think I have them finishing third. So. Okay. And uh, and the Pac-12 is, is I mean, we know how uh, down it was last year. It could be similarly the same way this year. So this could be a perfect scenario for a team like Stanford who has potential. Right. They need to prove a few things in order um, to kind of get a better feeling for myself personally. But the Pac-12 uh, schedule that they have is lined up to where they have a lot of unknowns that are on their schedule as well. So like you said, they, they could be a potential dark horse. I, I, I don't see it, but, but um, yeah, I, I like your, your reasoning behind how they could uh, come away and, and be one of those dark horse uh, teams this year from one of the power five conferences, Chappie. Yep. Just a little bit of talking out of both sides of my mouth. You know, <laughs> nobody else. <does> that. <laughs> well, I'm going to go with another kind of polarizing team and I'm going to go with the Minnesota golden Gophers who, if you talk to one person, they could win the West. If you talk to another, they're completely overrated and and won't uh, get outside of the the bottom three in the West. So, in 2018, Minnesota started off three and zero with a nice win against Fresno State. They then began the Big Ten season with four straight losses and proceeded to lose to Illinois two games later. They were able to win three of their last four games, including 20 plus uh, victory margins against Purdue, Wisconsin, and Georgia Tech. So things that went right for the Gophers last year, the passing game um, was was effective at, at times and could be a big threat to Big Ten defenses this year for a couple major reasons. The first being Tyler Johnson, who finished second in the Big Ten in receiving yards uh, per game and tied for first with 12 touchdowns. Another was a surprise freshman Rashad Bateman, who finished the season with 704 yards and six touchdowns. These two are going to give whoever wins that quarterback competition a major uh, couple of weapons uh, once again for 2019. And aiding the passing game, uh, in 2019 will be um, potential all Big Ten uh, running back Muhammad uh, Ibrahim, who finished second in the conference last year in rushing yards per game and was really one of the more unsung heroes of that Big Ten last year. He really came on strong towards the end of the season. 
Um, Minnesota also returns nine starters on offense and defensively, they also return seven starters. And in that defense, uh, they have guys like Carter Coughlin, Thomas Barber, Antoine Winfield. Uh, so they have playmakers at each level um, of that defense. So this is one of the more, uh, this is one of the younger teams in college football in 2018. A um, couple things that I see that may give them some trouble in, in 2019 is while they had standout performers in Johnson, Bateman, Ibrahim, uh, the highest that Minnesota had finished in any of the major offensive statistics was seventh in the Big Ten, and that was in passing yards per game. And that quarterback contribute. Uh, competition that I previously mentioned between Tanner Morgan and Zach Onyxstad gives Minnesota two options who had high points last year, but they also had their low points as well. So Morgan produced more impressive wins and had a better completion percentage uh, while they were both around the same mark for touchdowns and interceptions. But as the saying goes, if you have two quarterbacks, you have zero quarterbacks. So how does that play out? How do each uh, quarterback improve? That's going to go a long long way towards the success of the Gophers this year. But regardless of who wins the competition, they're going to need improved quarterback play in 2019 if they want to challenge for the West. I think the schedule sets up for them nicely this year as the Gophers avoid Michigan State, Michigan, and Ohio State out of the East this year. They also have Penn State and Wisconsin at home. Games at Purdue, Fresno State, Iowa, and Northwestern won't be easy, but Minnesota has the schedule set up for them to maybe win nine games, and you never know in that West. Nine games could be enough um, depending on how their conference uh, record plays out to uh, at least be in contention up to the end of the uh, Big Ten season, Chappie. Yeah, and um, I agree. The, the The first two-thirds of it look really good for Minnesota. In fact, I have them uh, going 7-1 and one in their first eight games. However, after their bye uh, on November 2nd, they play Penn State at Iowa at Northwestern and then home against Wisconsin, who was not happy to give up the axe last year. So – I, I think that they run into a little bit of a tailspin there. I think that they have trouble against Nebraska at home. So I, I, I think the Gophers go eight and four this year, but a five and four mark in the West, which is not going to do it to, to win that side there. So I think that PJ gets, you know, really hyped up and, and a lot of momentum to start the season. But then, like I said, finishing with that slate of games in their last four, that's going to be really tough. So if yeah. they win that, they're certainly, they're sure as hell going to earn the West division crown. But you know, the other thing that I still have a question mark about, I liked the new defensive coordinator, Joe Rossi, who took over after they got thrashed by Illinois and, you know, they beat Purdue only giving up 10 points. They give up 24 points to a Northwestern offense that really was not a high flying point scoring team last year. So that's a little bit of a, uh, a red flag for me. And then they only gave up 15 points against Wisconsin, but you know, that was a game where they just, you know, physically abused the Badgers and the Badgers were uh, down to, uh, you know, a lot of guys playing because of injuries and just, you know, the, the, the Badgers just didn't seem to want to play in that game last year for whatever reason. And then they, they neutralized a Georgia tech offense that to me, wasn't that great to begin with. And then it was Paul Johnson's last game. Mm -hmm. So there was that kind of distraction as well. So I'm not a hundred percent sold on Minnesota's defense yet. I really like Carter Coughlin. Um, I really like Antoine Winfield, but those other guys on that defense, I'm not sold that they are starters on, you know, other big 10 teams that are in the upper echelon of that league. And I don't mean Ohio state, Michigan, Michigan state. I'm talking about teams like, you know, maybe Iowa, Northwestern, Nebraska. Some of these guys may or may not be starters on that team. So we have a lot to see on how that defense does. Maybe they perform well, but you know, again, I look at that, number of returning starters, seven returning starters, and a lot of guys with experience. Um, Is it great experience? Is it uh, talent that's coming back? So we'll see in Minnesota. I think that they will certainly be better next year than they were this past season, but I I don't buy into the hype that they're going to win the West or that they're going to contend for the Big Ten title. Um, So going back over, uh, I'll give you one more team here. And I want to point out the Ohio Bobcats. So getting outside of the Power Five conferences, Frank Solich, first of all, is probably the most underrated head coach in college football today. And I probably have said that about a few coaches, but you know, when you when you really look at it, um, Solich was a guy who I think got jobbed at Nebraska. He he deserved to stay there. 
but he's really found a niche here in Oxford, Ohio, and um, you know, thing, I'm sorry, Athens, Ohio, and, and things really have been working out well for him. So how well? Last year, they won six of their last seven games by an average of 33.5 points per game, and the only loss they had was by two points at Miami of Ohio, and that was a game that they really shouldn't have lost, but I mean, so you, you look at a team that could have won their last seven. They looked really good in their bowl win um, against uh, San Diego State out in uh, Texas. So Nathan Rourke comes back as probably the MAC MVP preseason and probably would take the MVP after the season as well. I'm a little concerned at the loss of A.J. Olette as their top rusher and also losing Poppy White as their top playmaker on the outside at receiver and also was good for some jet sweeps and whatnot. Uh, but they do bring back a pretty good offensive line. They returned six guys on defense, and that defense actually was overshadowed by how well their offense did, but the, the Ohio's defense was pretty good a season ago. So they're going to contend for the MAC. In fact, I see a lot of people are picking them to win the MAC. I think that they're a clear favorite or a pretty clear favorite in the East, and I actually like them better than any other team I see in the West, even though Toledo and Western Michigan are going to pose some threat. Uh, I just like Ohio. And this could be a team that flirts with the top 25 as, you know, they could very well finish the season with double digit wins. And if they do, especially if the uh, the wins come more toward the latter part of the season, this is an Ohio team that, uh, you know, could be a pusher for top 25 status and maybe even be that group of five buster because their non-conference schedule is not that daunting. They play Rhode Island. They play at Pittsburgh, who they're kind of a toss-up team. And early on in the season, we've seen how MAC teams can go into group of five, or I'm sorry, power five venues and, and come out victorious. So, um, you know, and then the rest of it is just a, a MAC schedule, which is loaded with the, I think, the relatively weaker MAC East. So I like Ohio. I thought that they they performed well at the tail end of last year, and I think that they're going to perform pretty well in 2019. Bip. Yeah, and, and and you mentioned how their one loss of their, their last uh, seven games was to Miami of Ohio. They lost that by two, and because they gave up a safety in that fourth quarter, they also lost by only three points to Northern Illinois, a game in which they gave up 15 unanswered to lose the game by three. So they could have really been on quite a streak at the end of the season. Um, and like you said, their their non-conference losses being to Virginia and Cincinnati. So a really impressive team that ended up with uh, four losses last year. I'm with you. I really like uh, Nathan Rourke, and I think that he once again is going to be the the leader for the MAC offensive MVP this year. I think that they return a good amount on that defense. And if Frank Solich isn't the most underrated coach in the country, I think he's definitely the, one of the most underappreciated coaches in the country because he's right, right up there. I, I can't remember. I think he's got maybe two or three more seasons until he's going to eclipse the 200 win mark. And that's just phenomenal for someone that uh, is in uh, an Ohio program that was not really much to speak of at all before he got there. So yeah. I, I'm with you. Right. I think that the schedule plays nicely for them in that weaker side of the Mac. And I think that they'll be playing for um, the Mac championship game when all is said and done this year, or if not, it'll be similar to last year to where they have a, an un, unfortunate series of events to where they look like perhaps the best team in the Mac, but due to due to uh, record, maybe on the outside looking in, but certainly one of the the bigger contenders in that conference this year for sure. Yeah, and and I like your word. I think maybe underappreciated is probably the better word as opposed to or, or underrated. So yeah, um, Coach Solich, we certainly appreciate you here on a bowl. <laughs> That's right. Well, Chappie, my uh, last team that I'm going to go with is the TCU Horn Frogs. So. In 2018, TCU started off with a 2-0 record with a combined score of 97-19. They ended up losing by double digits to Ohio State in their next game that was much closer than what the ending score indicated. They then lost to Texas before beating an Iowa, an Iowa State team, albeit a Cyclone team that wasn't starting Brock Purdy for the game. They then lost four of their next five, including, including games against Texas Tech and Kansas, and uh, finished off the season winning four of their last five, including the worst bowl game that I've ever seen, the 7-6 to six victory mm. against Cal, in which they're still throwing interceptions in. Um, the positives yeah. that they had coming out of 2018 is they return um, 
two their uh, top two running backs. They return two starting wide receivers, including Jalen Rager, who could challenge for the Bolitnikoff Award this year. Last year, they finished with the number one uh, Big 12 defense in yards per game allowed, number four in Big 12 uh, defensive points per game allowed. And along that defensive um, side of the ball, they have just loads of talent all across uh, all across the board and in, in all three um, levels. Jeff Gladney is one of the the nation's top corners this year, and and re- really leads one of the the Big 12's top secondaries heading into the fall. Ross Blacklock and uh, Corey Bethley could, uh, create one of the more disruptive interior defensive lines in the country. So I think that Horn Frog defense is going to be. Uh, once again, one of the more stout ones in the Big 12 and could be one of the better ones in the country um, if they can avoid the injury bug. Um, yeah. What really went wrong for the Horned Frogs last year outside of the injuries was the Horned Frogs averaged only 19 points per game against Big 12 opponents opponents last year. And when you think about how wide open that that conference is and how poor some of those defenses are, Averaging only 19 points per game against Big 12 opponents is really embarrassing for them. And I'm also wondering if there's too many cooks in the kitchen at quarterback. So they have Mike Collins, Justin Rogers, Max Duggan, I think. Uh, Alex Delton, Matthew Downing. How does that situation play out this year? Does it cause growth for those involved? Or will there be a, too little, too few of reps to go around and, and too many quarterbacks that are trying to force situations and trying to do too much to, to keep their job when they're inserted into the starting lineup. So curious to see how that plays out. So outside of the, the injuries, if they can avoid all of the, you know, the, the mass uh, exodus of talent that they had due to the injury bug last year, they should be a much improved squad in 2019. Um, if they can get some good play from, from the quarterback position, that's going to go a long way. And I have to think that Sonny Cumbie is going to have that offense humming again this year. Like it was in years prior when they finished right. 29th, seventh and second in the country in offense in three of the past five years. I think that, uh, they bounce back offensively this year in a big way. And I think that that defense is going to be one of the tops in, in the country this year again. Uh, especially along the defensive line and in that secondary. They have a tough road test at Purdue as well as road games at Iowa State, Oklahoma State, and Oklahoma, but they do get Texas and Baylor at home, and they have a bye before their trip to play uh, Purdue on that road game. So I see the Horn Frogs performing much better this year than they did last year, especially offensively, but if they don't get the questions that they have answered uh, offensively, especially at quarterback, they could still be looking up at Oklahoma and Texas by year's end uh, in relation to the Big 12. Yeah, I that's the big question mark for me is is the quarterback spot. You know, I, I think that they would be well served, whether it's internally or whether it's, you know, publicly known that they, they decide on a quarterback like today. Right. And say, so, okay, this is going to be our guy going in. And, you know, you don't leave it up to all these different guys. I, I never really understood why coaches like to wait until like the day before a game to name a starter. Uh, as a former quarterback myself, I, I don't know how much of a competitive advantage that gives you because I mean, if you're any kind of an athlete, you're going to go in every day, whether you're named the starter or whether you're not named the starter that you're going to try and uh, you know, show something for yourself. Right. So if you're thinking, Oh, well I might be it. I almost think that that has like a negative psychological effect because in most guys' minds, they're thinking, well, if they haven't named a starter yet, then I'm kind of right up there with these guys. So you might be able to to slough a little bit. Whereas, you know, as having been a backup quarterback, that's almost a chip on my shoulder where I'm thinking, all right, um, I wasn't named the starter. So now I'm going to definitely go twice as hard as I thought I was going before to to try and, you know, put myself in that position now. So I think that they do need to name that starter. I think that that whoever it is has got a, a very good wealth of receivers to throw to. You know, you talked about Rager, but Tay Barber's a, a speedster on the outside as well. I like Trevante Heights. Uh, he came on at the end of last season. Uh, they've got probably one of the best offensive lines in the Big 12 now that Oklahoma graduated or lost four of their five offensive linemen from last year's award-winning group. Mm-hmm. The defense looks good. You know, I mean, you look at the pairs of Blacklock and Bethley up, up the middle, Garrett Wallow and Montreal Wilson at linebacker, and then their two corners, Julius Lewis and Jeff Gladney. Um, you know, this is just going to be a very good defense, one of the best in the country. And I'm looking at it here. I can't believe Gary Patterson has been there 19 years. It, I know he's been there a while, but it doesn't seem like it's been that long. But it just goes to show how TCU was really this 
you know, mid-level program. And now they're up there competing for the Big 12 in a Power 5 conference every year. And I think that this will certainly be a year that they can contend. I don't know that I would pull the trigger on them upseating Oklahoma or even Texas for that top spot. But I like the Horned Frogs to go 9-3 and three this year. And and finish near the, the the top of that Big Twelve conference bit. Yeah, I w- I'm I'm with you. I was uh, I get surprised every time that I see that Gary Patterson's been there for that long. And you right. know it, his success was even uh, he he had to have been there for LTs either last season or came in right after him. So it's not even as if yeah. he built the pro- the program with one of the the best uh, running backs in college football history. He did it all on his own seemingly and built it from the ground up and kudos to him for staying there uh, when I'm sure he's had a wealth of offers throughout his uh, prestigious um, career there at uh, TCU. Yeah. Yeah. He seems like he's happy in Fort Worth. And and I think I even saw on a game last year that he's got a house that overlooks uh, the stadium through a a set of nice trees outside of his, you know, big, long, luxurious pool. So (laughs) looking at those digs that he's got, I wouldn't move. Yeah. Can't beat that. Right. Uh, just real quick, I, I know that we try and focus on the positives, and, and we're going to put a little positive spin on this. I'm just going to give you a list, Bip, of some of the teams that were trending down at the end of last season who I think will have a, a much more positive season in 2019. And I don't mean like by a game or two. I mean potentially a team that maybe just barely made a bowl or maybe even missed out on a bowl that could be contending for their conference championship this year. So um South Florida, they started off 7-0 and last year, lost their last six games, including their bowl game. I think that they're going to be much improved this year. And, and don't count out Charlie Strong. I know a lot of people are calling for his job, but when you know when he gets it all together and, and when he gets, get that, gets that fire in his eyes, ask you know, the opponents that he played when he was coaching at Louisville. Uh, I think he's a good coach, and I think that the, the Bulls have a, a good season this year. Yeah, and Houston, Blake Barnett. I'm sorry, go ahead. Blake Barnett's got talent. He's got to let it shine through as he was only 12 for 11 as, as far as touchdown interception ratio. Keep an eye out on uh, new transfer, Jadinkalich Mergoon from South Florida. <laughs> South Florida, that's right. Well, and they also got a, a Notre Dame transfer. I think Devin Studd still um, went over there, and he's going to be playing strong safety starting for them. Mm-hmm. So that's a good pickup. I really like Jordan uh, Cronkite, the the running back who was a Florida transfer, and they've got you know a, a good amount of speed and talent at that wide receiver position. So look out for the Bulls in 2019. Staying in the AAC, Houston lost four of their last five games, including that massacre against the Army Black Knights. I think that they're a team, now that they've got Dana Holgerson, I really like De'Eric King. I think that he will contend for the Heisman. I think that, you know, people will still be talking about him in Heisman talks going into November and, you know, probably will be a, a an All-American quarterback this year on some level, probably third team. But I like the Cougars this year. If they can get that defense to play well and to improve on last year's uh, really abysmal stats considering you had one of the best defensive, dominant defensive players in the country in Ed Oliver. Um, Iowa state, they lost two of their last four games last year, which included almost losing at home to Drake and they only beat (laughs) Kansas state by four. Um, but you know, they're, they're certainly a team that everybody's high on this season. And I'm not saying cyclone fans that Iowa state had a bad season last year, but they were kind of trending in a downward tailspin at the end of the season after starting off pretty well and looking, uh, you know, pretty dominant. And I know that you're a big Brock Purdy fan there. Ben. Yeah, I'm excited uh, to but... see a full season of him at the helm. And then uh, that new offensive coordinator that, that, that they get coming back from, I believe it was the Colts where he was at the last couple of seasons. Interested to yep. see how he pairs with Purdy and, okay. and to see how that offense uh, improves from last year. Yeah, and a lot of people question the run game losing David Montgomery. I think that they've got, um, you know, a, a pretty good guy coming back in. Um, I'm blanking on his name right now flipping through here uh but i know he wears number three and he's got a tough name to pronounce um uh oh kenny nwangwu but really jareel brock their incoming freshman i think is going to be the guy that uh takes the reins Brees hall is another guy who was in for the spring he's a freshman so they could have two very talented freshman running backs that are going to pick up the slack there in that run game uh they lost hakeem butler but i like the addition of lamichael petway who was arkansas's leading receiver last year and that's saying something in a chad morris offense so you know that he's a guy that's made a lot of catches and that can make big plays as well and that defense is just going to be pretty damn good this year for the cyclones uh michigan state they looked ugly in the end of the season we talked about that nebraska loss they they looked uh 
really like the bad news bears on, on grass for the, uh, the bowl game against <laughs> Oregon. But um, I think that they're going to be a team that trends up this year and mark my words, they will contend for the big 10 East. I'm not saying they're going to win it, but it's not an automatic that it's going to be either Ohio state or Michigan. The Spartans are certainly going to have something to say for it. And they do have to play on the road at both schools at Columbus and at Ann Arbor. But if they win one of those two and get help from somewhere else, you could be looking at the green and white back in Indianapolis. Yep. And if anyone answered their one ad when uh, they posted it this offseason looking for offense, they could be a team to 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 mess or to not mess with in the Big Ten for sure. Right, right. And then the last one I want to hit on is Oregon State. And we kind of talked about that in a previous podcast, and we'll get more to it when we look at our 2019 Pac 12 preview. But Oregon State lost their last four by an average margin of 27 points. But they they really capitalized on the transfer portal market this offseason. Jonathan Smith, to me, is a very good coach. And I, I really like the type of player that he was when he was a quarterback at Oregon State. And, and usually when you see a guy, typically they're quarterbacks, guys who were undersized, undervalued as a player, but they came out and they just got the job done. And then they translate and, and get into coaching. Um, that usually pays off pretty well. And, and you really can't ask for a much better mentor than Chris Peterson when he was coaching with him at Washington. And we know what Peterson has done at Boise state. So um, I look out for the, the Beavers this year. I, I do think that they make a bowl this year and they win at least six games to qualify for that. So even though last season was not the best, they finished two and 10, but uh, you know, look out for Oregon state in 2019. Bip. Um, all right. Well, that's, uh, that's our teams, how they trended at the end of 2018. Bip and I gave you how we see them doing in 2019. So, uh, you know, up or down, will they keep it going or will they turn it around? So we showed you what we think of these teams. Now we want to hear from you on what you think or what other questions you have for us in the college football world. So if you tweet us at champion underscore lit or at BFC BIP, we may read your question or your comment on our next podcast and digest how right you are or how right we are. Again, thanks for listening to A Bowl Full of Chips. And remember, when it comes to complete college football coverage, BFC brings football closer. So if you haven't yet subscribed, please do give us three seconds of your time and hit that subscribe button. Make things easy to get the content you need in the future. Consider it college football room service that you don't even have to make the call for. Please also share the good word with friends and family that eat, sleep, breathe, and bleed college football. Remind them about a bowl full of chips, the best growing college football podcast out there. So that's what we've got for tonight. Stay tuned for our next podcast in a couple of days. That's right. We're right back into the swing of things twice a week. Bipster and I will unleash the start of our 2019 conference preview circuit with the ESPN Southern Football Conference. Oh, wait. Sorry, I read that wrong. The SEC. So, everybody. See ya. Bye.